1: Without further ado, basically, we, you know, just again, we, we always have visitors this time of year. It's kind of become a tongue in cheek thing, you know, twice a year you get more visitors and such. But I don't know if you know this, and not everybody knows this, but all four of the gospel writers chronicled the elements of the 40 day post resurrected Christ before his ascension. Because you have to ask yourself, well, how would such a fledgling belief system? Uh, that the Roman Empire was looking to get rid of and persecuted them heavily. How were they able to do what they did and grow the way they they grew in the face of persecution? It's because Jesus spent 40 days on the earth between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. So this morning, all three pastors with various scriptures are going to be focusing on that post-resurrection period. And we will have Pastor Paul start out
2: uh, first. Well, good morning. Now, if you don't open your Bibles to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. And this is, you know, the Bible records several instances of Jesus appearing to people post-resurrection, whether it was um, Mary Magdalene or the other women at the tomb, uh, it records that he appeared before uh, to 500 others before he ascended. But we're gonna, I'm going to focus, and I think we, the three of us are going to focus on his appearing to the disciples and in uh, by extension, um, something that we can gain through that. So starting in verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood in the the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So this amazing appearance of Jesus was, again, one of the first recorded appearances to his disciples post-resurrection. And I think we can relate to this, especially because those who have accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and believed in his resurrection, we are also disciples of Christ. That word disciple means a student or a follower, one who learns from uh, a teacher, and that's what we should be doing uh, throughout this walk. As we um, receive Christ and accept what he did on the cross for our salvation, knowing that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves, as we accept that, we now want to walk in the way Jesus walked. And so... These, these events and these occurrences will talk about what it looks like to follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ. And something important happened here in this time of fear. Remember, the disciples were still trying to figure out what happened. Their leader, Jesus, was supposed to um, you know, conquer uh, the, the persecutors, uh, the Roman Empire. And yet he died on the cross three days earlier. And now they're wondering what's going on. They were in great fear. That's uh, an understatement, I'm sure. They figured also, they were in fear for themselves. They figured if Christ was crucified, then we may also be next. And honestly, most of them were also um, martyred for their faith. And he warned them. You know, Jesus warned them about this. He told them in John 15:18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So this was not, this could not be a surprise to them. They knew that there might be persecution com- coming, and it, but it wasn't to make them more fearful, but instead to encourage them, to make them courageous in the face of difficult times. And I think Jesus' words ring in our minds and our hearts also, to keep us focused, to make us courageous in difficult times. And you know throughout the centuries there have been uh, persecutions against believers and we see that in our even in the present culture that we live in we see persecutions and you may personally experience that so jesus is encouraging us he says in john 16:33 these things i have spoken to you that in me you have you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So as believers, we want to be able to face the opposition, face the persecution, and be able to give a, a hope to people who we encounter. So notice what happens here in John, 9, John 20, 19, in the first part of that, it says, then in the same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples locked the doors to protect themselves <laughs> from the authorities who they were in fear of, great fear of. But notice, it didn't stop Jesus from entering the room. So, you know, think about that in a personal application to our lives. You know, sometimes we are cowering in fear. Sometimes we're being uh, persecuted. Sometimes there are difficulties in our life. And what do we do? We want to hide. We want to run and hide. Sometimes we hide from our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we try to hide from God. But Jesus understands that fear, and he breaks through that fear, and he ministers to us in our needs. And then it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst, stood in the midst. So he was there. His presence was, was palatable. His presence was there in the very moment that they needed it. Sometimes I know if I'm caught up in fear, I want to sense God's presence more and more in my life. And Jesus did that. He knew that. He knew that being in their midst would would disarm them from that fear. Remember, when something's going on in your life, as you pray, as you seek the Lord, He's going to bring peace and He's going to bring comfort to you. And so the next time that something happens, you know you can kind of grab on to that and hold on to that. And then He said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Boy, that, that's the opposite of what was going on in their lives at that time. There was upheaval. There was there was the unknown. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Talk about being without peace. You know, Jesus said in John fourteen, twenty seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus promised this peace. And this peace is more than just an absence of conflict. It's not just the taking away of something, but it's filling us, filling us with joy, filling us with purpose, filling us with love, filling us with an abundant life. And so Jesus, yes, he takes away that upheaval in our lives, but He also fills us with something that we can go and take with us. In the midst of our greatest sorrow, His peace is available, readily available to us if we put our faith and trust in Him. Amen? Amen. And then in verse 20, it says, When He had done this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples were glad. You see how the mood changed. They were in fear. They were were distraught. They didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they realized this is Jesus who we spent all this time with, who taught us all of these things, who we thought was dead. And now he's here in our presence and fulfillment of the prophetic words that Jesus spoke to them not too too far uh, before this. He says, it says in John 16, verse 20, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And that happened. When Jesus went to the cross, the world was rejoicing. They thought that they had put down this this crazy religious leader, that they, they, they thought they had done him in. The world was rejoicing, but they were sorrowful. The ones closest to him were sorrowful. And then it goes on and says, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Amen. Three days later, the joy, I mean, we just felt it today with the singing, with the kids, the rejoicing that we sense, knowing that we worship a risen Savior. You know, initially, we may feel sorrow, maybe at troubles that we're going through or difficulties that we are going through, or even at our sin And our failing. And I think that our sorrow, most times, is appropriate. You know, especially when it comes to our sin, to sorrow over sin. But God doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want us to dwell there. He wants us to move on. He wants us to sense His presence, His grace, and His mercy that will cover us and lift us up when we're at our lowest. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up, submitting to him in sincere confession, and then allowing him to, to restore us back into that relationship with him. And then in verse 21 it says, And Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So, you know, Jesus knew where they were at. They knew where, he knew where their hearts were. He knew where their minds were. And he just he knew that they needed to be reassured of that peace. So he repeats the offer of peace. But he also adds to that a job for them to do. This is where Jesus commissions his disciples to go on with the work. And in, by extension, he's commissioning us See, he tells his disciples, continue the work that I started. We have the same mission. You need to continue it. When I'm gone, you need to continue that mission to spread the good news of salvation that is through faith in Christ. And as his followers, 2,000 years later, we have that same mission to be given the the hope to a hopeless world. We follow in Jesus' footsteps. We follow in the footsteps of Of the disciples. Our mission is the same as his to teach others about God, to live out our faith, to stand firm in the truth, even in the face of opposition, and to point others to God and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And then he gives them the power to do it. It says in verse 22 And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The power, the ability to do what he's called us to do. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. We need the Holy Spirit. And for those who have accepted Christ, we are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And we can now go out and do the work, the mission, that God calls us to. And notice he says, and notice he says, to, "If you forgive the sins of any, this is not the power to forgive sins, but this is the power to proclaim forgiveness. And don't people need to hear that today? You know, instead of their, sin, their shame and their guilt, just weighing them down. To allow them to see that God has forgiven them. That's what we have. That's our mission as we go forward. To anyone that we meet, to proclaim forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Be blessed. Pastor Vin.
3: Good morning. If you do have your Bibles open to John 20, we're going to go to verse 24. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read... The verses that I'm covering today, and then we'll go back and dissect a little bit. And if you're a visitor here, we welcome you. But if you're also a regular uh, person who comes here, I was just thinking how, if you heard the message this morning outside and you're hearing three different pastors today giving you a message, it's so encouraging to me to know that God wants you to continue to grow in your faith. And if you are An atheist or an agnostic or you've fallen away from your walk with the Lord. He wants to encourage you. He wants to trigger your heart again. He wants to use his word, written word and spoken word to bring you back uh, into that relationship with him. So we're counting on the Lord to do a lot of things here in this morning, whether you are a believer or an uh, unbeliever. So in verse 24, just please follow along with me. It's Uh, chapter 20 of John, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In John chapter 11, verse 16, it says Then Thomas, who was called the twin, Said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And that's when uh, Lazarus had died. And the uh, disciples knew that in Judea they wanted to capture Jesus, they wanted to capture the disciples. But Thomas was demonstrating a lot of loyalty to Jesus just by these words. And you see, he was a twin. Thomas was a twin, but we don't know the name of the twin. I believe today, or since Thomas was on this earth, there's a lot of twins of Thomas in here right now. Think about it as we go through the story and how we can relate to what Thomas went through. John fourteen five says, Thomas said to Jesus... After Jesus was saying, I'm going to go and prepare a mansion for you. I'm going to go play prepare a place for you. And someday I'm going to come and get you. And Thomas said, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And that's where that great verse Jesus says, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. No one goes to the father except through me. There's no other way to go to heaven except through Jesus. Thomas saw Jesus for three years. He hung with him. He ate with him. They discussed things. He saw his miracles. He knew that Jesus went through a trial. He knew he went through a beating. He, know, he knew he was nailed to the cross. He, know he, was, he knew he was buried in a tomb. You, like me, might be facing or have faced traumatic events. You might be going through a stage of depression or despair. You might be going through heartbreak or sorrow. All of which Jesus can identify with. He was there. He went through those things. When we look at that first verse, Thomas. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Now, this was right after Mary Magdalene had said, Jesus is not in the tomb, he appeared to me. But they didn't believe her. It wasn't only Thomas. Thomas was not the only doubter, all his apostles didn't believe him. Have you ever had unbelief? I can relate to that. This verse in the scripture says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think Jesus is always trying to do that. He's tagged with the name Doubting Thomas. Have you ever been in a place where you doubted what God was doing? Have you ever been in a place where you feel you miss Jesus or the opportunity to accept him? I know that won't happen today. I know Pastor Joe, when he's up here bringing the last message, will give you that opportunity to come back to Jesus or to come to Jesus for the first time. Verse 25 says, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And in Mark sixteen eleven it says, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. The other apostles didn't believe. When do you believe? When do I believe? When do we take that step of belief? You know when? When it's personal to us, isn't it? It's great when something happens to somebody else and they share their testimony with us. But you know when it's real, real? When it touches you. Right? When it touches me. And may right now the Lord, through the power of His Holy Spirit, be touching you where you are so you know the risen Savior, so you know the reality of Him and how much He loves you and cares for you. So Thomas said, unless I see in His hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. Well, you know, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared the first time in that room. It was eight days later that he was in that room. So what was Thomas thinking when they said to him, we saw Jesus, he appeared to us in that room. Where was Thomas? Was he so beside himself over the events that just took place? Was he wondering, was he having his own walk of his faith? I believe, yes, he was, just like you and I do. We have our own walk of faith. And what did Thomas do that day when he wasn't there when Jesus appeared? Maybe he went to the empty tomb. And he was wondering, did he really rise? Like Mary said, or did somebody steal him? What's going on? I don't know. What's taking place here? And he had eight days to ponder all of this. Notice in verse 26, as Pastor Paul had said, the doors were shut, but yet Jesus appeared. Nothing could keep Jesus out. In the room of your heart, Jesus loves you and wants to come into the room of your heart. Nothing can keep him out except a hard heart and an unwillful spirit. Great verse in the book of Revelation. He stands at the door and knocks. He's knocked on all our hearts, right? If we've received him, we know. And we open the door and we let him in. Maybe he's knocking on the heart door of somebody here today. Or somebody listening. Then Thomas said. Or Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here. And put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving. But believing. He knew. What it would take. For Thomas to believe. He knows what it takes for you and I to believe. He knows those very things that have to come into your life for you to cry out to Him. And dear people, these were wounds. They weren't scars. These were wounds. In Psalm 22, it says, "For the, uh, verse 16, it says, For the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. In Zechariah twelve ten, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And then in Zechariah thirteen six, it says, And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then in Revelation, it says, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. They say that the only man made thing in heaven. Will be the wounds of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he appeared to the apostles and to Mary and to all the ladies and then to Thomas with his friends up in the upper room, he still had his wounds. They were wounds. Not bleeding anymore. They saw his wounds that were in his hands and his feet. Jesus told Thomas, take your hand and put it in my side. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Jesus will have those wounds when we meet Him face to face. They're a sign of His love. His passion for you. His commitment to you. His promises to you. And for all eternity, we'll see Jesus And always be reminded of the price He paid for you and me. You know, it says in closing that um, blessed are those... Thomas, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who have never seen and believe. Hello, everybody. That's you and me. He was talking about you and me and all those who never seen Him physically. And we're told in uh, the Scriptures that we walk by faith and not by sight. And it says in verse 30 here, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then in John 21, 25, it says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were written about him. Thomas was loyal. He was committed. Yes, he had his doubts. Yes, he had his questions. But he was seeking sincere answers. He was a truth seeker. He was very inquisitive sincere faith should come from sincere investigation we don't have a blind faith do we we have the evidence throughout history throughout scripture throughout prophecy of the risen savior put your trust and your faith in him and if you have already continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of jesus christ amen God bless you.
1: I think I'm really blessed to close it and see. You know, we don't compare notes when we do this. So we just hit it from different angles. And it's just very, very exciting to go through this with you. I'm going to be in John chapter 21, which is really one of my favorite post-resurrection chapters, where he, Jesus after the crucifixion, reestablishes their foundation in their faith. So I'm going to jump in in verse 1 through 6, and this is going to be part 104, briefly. It says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So the first metaphor is refresh and restore. Verse 1, Jesus showed himself again. The resurrected Christ did what he did in this time, but doesn't it sound familiar to those of you that have been to church and gone through John and gone through the Gospels? Because in Luke 5, he does the same thing. Why does he do it? Because he's able to give him a familiarity, give them a familiarity of something that happened in the past before they were traumatized by the crucifixion. You know, 2,000 years later, we, I'm sure, no one's ever seen a crucifixion. I could be wrong, but we take for granted what the disciples went through. Here they were walking with, you know, understanding of who God the Son is, raising the dead, doing all kinds of things. And yeah, it appears that only John actually was at the crucifixion, but the rest of them watch him get arrested, falsely accused, get beat up, punching him, doing all kinds of things, bleeding all over the place. And they thought, well, I thought this was the Messiah. But are they any different from us when we know the truth but our emotions get the best of us and we can have a crisis of faith. So Jesus kept appearing, right? He did this in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul speaks of a mass gathering of 500 people at once that Jesus appeared to in that 40-day post-resurrection, pre-ascension ministry. I want to focus on Peter for a minute. Uh, Verse 3 and verse 6. And Peter said, I am going fishing. Well... Some criticize Peter and say, well, he should have gone out and just believed in Jesus and trusted Him and done what Jesus told him to do. And I know a lot of guys who go fishing and some gals, and I'm just way too hyper to go fishing. But I get it. You know, you kind of get into this zone. It's like a comfort zone. You think, you pray, you, you know, go through ruminations in your mind about life and maybe some issues in life. And that's where Peter was. And the Lord met them where they were at. You know, Christianity is not a group of perfect people. And what we find a lot is that God meets us where we're at as well. Has anything changed in 2,000 years the way he deals with those that he loves? He loves everybody. He'll meet wherever you are. You could be an atheist and you were dragged or bribed to get a nice uh, resurrection Sunday dinner and saying, well, you know... You don't have to bring any sides or desserts. Just come to church. God will meet you where you're at, whatever the situation is. So refresh and restore. The first part is that sometimes God needs to reinforce something in our lives that we're not getting. You look at behaviorism and psychology, you see that, right? It becomes a habit. It becomes something that the brain starts to get used to. Um, But ultimately, it's the spirit is the one, the part of us that believes, that has that connection with God, and the mind and the body come along with it. Verse 7, continuing on, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, of course, John is speaking about himself. You know, But I'm sure they all thought, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But I love that about John, is because he just always had this intimate bond with Jesus. And that's how he referred to himself. He loved all of them. But he said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153 And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So two out of four is the foundation. A lot of activity going on. Uh, Peter, he starts to realize that it's really Jesus, and in a fit of adrenaline-fueled excitement, he jumps into the water. He's not waiting for the guys to row the boat. You know, He just jumps into the water and swims as fast as he can to see Jesus. I love Peter. <laughs> so I wonder sometimes, do we take the Lord for granted? Right? Do we do church? Do we do the Christian thing? Do we Sometimes in believers get stale too. Years go on, life happens, trials, and it becomes a staleness. But it's always a good time. Any time is always a good time to rededicate yourself to the Lord. And say, you know, in the early days, I had so much more of a fire or a zeal. That can happen any time. Amen? Verse 12, Jesus had already made a fire and was willing to make the disciples breakfast. So we find that even in his resurrected state, he still has the character of a humble servant, which is something that needed to catch on to the disciples. He was always teaching them. You know? and, and again, as Christians, are we humble? You know, do we desire to serve others, to be other-centered? So many lessons here. I'll say this, that, uh, and I, I read the statistics about church attendance in the United States. You see all these polls that come out. Sometimes we talk about them during Christmas or during Resurrection Sunday. uh, And it says that attendance is low. But why is attendance low? Could it be that maybe churches as an organization try to remake something they don't need to remake? As long as you have God's Word and the resurrected Christ, do we really have to fluff it up or add uh, some sugar to it? Do we have to be relevant, cool? Do we have to be celebrities? you know what people are attracted to? Genuineness and sincerity. And that's attractive. And that you will find truly in God's Word and the resurrected Christ. We don't need to use the world's means to prop up the church. Right? Amen? So verse 13, he gives them bread and fish. I see this and you know, I I met a lot of people from the Middle East, the Far East, and they have a different idea than American culture when it comes to this sort of fellowship and intimacy, hospitality, opening up their homes. And I I find myself drawn to the way they do things. And in America, sometimes we sort of have like a force field in our comfort zones. But this eating and and sitting together and talking, that's how God designed us to be social creatures. When you look at the breakdown in American culture, that's part of the reason, the isolation that we we experience in American culture. So here, they didn't have their iPhones, they didn't have their social media, they sat with Jesus and they ate and they talked and their hearts inside, I can't imagine what they felt while they were doing that, the excitement. So Jesus restores that intimacy. And we can enjoy that intimacy today with Christ. Is it a little different because He's not tangible? Sure. Nonetheless, it's no less than what they have desired and what they engaged in. Verse 15. I I have to cover the whole chapter because um, some of you I won't see for about six or seven months, so i got to make sure I get as much Scripture in (laughs) as possible. Okay? something was saying, don't say it, don't say it, it's just, it's all good, it's all good, I'm hoping that some of you say, you know what, I I was touched by that, these three pastors, you know, they're a little kooky, but they they got something going there, and uh, maybe I will come back on a Sunday, all right, I had to get it out, it's out, now let me move on, okay, verse 15, I feel so much better, (laughs) it's usually Pastor Vinny doing that stuff, all right, settle down. Uh, So, 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, saying to him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but... If I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You know what's amazing? The disciples weren't perfect. You know, when I started reading the Bible as a new believer, I felt more comfortable the more I read about the disciples. Because I'm like, you know, I got a lot of flaws. And wow, they got some flaws too. Praise God. God uses flawed people. I love that. So they, even they, they were kind of taking Jesus' words, and they misunderstood it a little bit, all right? Verse 24, this is the disciple who testified of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. So three out of four is marching orders, right? Jesus does this refresh, this restoration, this reestablishment. The more I'm sure they spent time with him, the more the idea of the crucifixion became something that they remembered as a necessity so that their sins could be forgiven and not so traumatic anymore. And then they would get to look forward to Jesus' final restoration of the whole creation, which is a future from now. We don't know when it is. So a few things here. You know, I covered this, I think, two years ago, so I'm not going to go into great detail. But I have to laugh in verse 18 through 23. Peter, impetuous Peter, was very concerned about what was going to happen with John. And I think Jesus, in a loving way, said to him, mind your own business. You know, And I think sometimes as believers, we can get caught up in looking at this person and looking at that person. And maybe that person's perceived blessings. And of course, on social media, everyone has a perfect life. But what we really need to do is focus on our relationship with the Lord. Our ups, our downs, our twists and turns. And just, just pull in close to Him. Verse 15 through 17, going back. This, again, there's a, there's a lot more to this. It's something I had taught. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. You know, I'm just going to say this. It would be a shame if we talk about Resurrection Sunday and disassociated from what's going on in our country, in our culture, the things we see, the things that are troubling, the indicators the, the lack of respect, the lack of civility, the division. You know, I wonder, I actually I don't wonder, but maybe humanizing someone who's a loner before the wrong people get to him or her, maybe that could prevent another tragedy. Every time we read the paper, we, we hear of another tragedy. It's not just shootings, it's stabbings, it's all kinds of things that are going on in this nation, right? But if every Christian in the world went out and used their spiritual gifts to do something small, maybe be a good listener, maybe talk to somebody who is completely isolated. And that's what you see in these profiles. My old profession keeps coming back a little bit. But, you know, just the humanization of a a person who doesn't feel right emotionally, that could divert them and say, you know what, there are people that care. There is a better way. There is hope instead of going down this treacherous road and reading about them in the paper. So... You know, where to go out, where to spread the gospel, where to spread the message of hope of the resurrected Christ. And four out of four is our application. I'll say this is that uh, I, I can't help it, and I fight the feeling every year is to prove to you through science and biology and astronomy and prophecy and archaeology and paleography and all the sciences, especially investigative sciences, that Jesus really lived. Jesus really rose again, and Jesus really lives today. So the only thing I'm going to say is the fact that it was last year that I covered, there's about maybe half a dozen false messiahs that I know of, at the time of the Roman Empire, in a short window of time. Do you know that these, how many people have heard of Bar Kokhba? Is there a church of Bar Kokhba? My, my uh, history guy up there raised his hand. There's these, all, all these guys who rose up, and do you realize they had more followers than Jesus? But that when they were killed, everybody scattered. You know why? Because they didn't rise again. It was only through Christianity that, again, had less followers than some of these false messiahs rising up through warfare that Christianity spread. And Christianity weathered the powerful church. It weathered wars. It weathered famines. It weathered uh, plagues. Because Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against my church. And that's true for the last 2,000 years. So once we understand the full weight and power of the resurrection, we understand why the full weight and power of the Roman Empire did not destroy Christianity and it intended to. All you have to do is find this in the annals of history. But the answer... You know, and again, churches that try to do things and and make it more palatable for everyone, and we don't want to talk about the resurrected Christ. Why not? That's the power that propels the work of God on the planet Earth through His Holy Spirit till the point where He comes again and restores all things. So it's an exciting thing to look for. The Roman Empire is dead, it's been dead for a long time, but Jesus Christ lives and the organization of the church still gathers in every portion of this planet. I just say let's continue to share the message of hope in a hopeless world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're so good. You're so awesome, Lord. Um, It's just so... My goodness, there's so many different twists and turns we can go through in the Scripture, so many different archaeological finds. Actually, in the last 60, 70 years, incredible paleography, incredible stuff, fulfilled prophecy. I just pray right now, if there's anybody here, and you know what? You, they'll be clapping for you, trust me. Uh, I know that the Bible says that the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. When you come up to receive Jesus Christ, there's no shame in it, there's joy. And this is something that God desires, but he doesn't force us to do it. So I just would ask you right now, if there's anybody here, is it a desire that you have to walk with the Lord? I would say, come up out of your seat, come to the front, I'll just lead you in a short prayer, and uh, the Lord is here. What better day to put your faith in Christ than on Resurrection Sunday? Is there anybody here who'd like to do that? I just want you to know that we will be here after service. If it's something that you're saying, gee, I I didn't expect this, but there's a part of me that really wants to do this, please come talk to us after service. Because listen, we can get a promotion, we can get a job, we could move to another state or country, we could buy a house, we could do a lot of things. But coming to Christ is so powerful that not only does it have implications through this life, but into eternity. Amen?